we should not be and that's what a lot of middle management is struggling with that frog in the pond the boiling water who is sitting there thinking they are okay right and they're not realizing that the water is boiling one day it hits tipping point and then you know they don't have their job or they are redundant and then there is nothing they can do because they haven't made the investments to change so yeah. i would say please act with urgency everybody and start yeah. figuring how to get skilled Hello everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I wish my boss told me that. This will be our final episode on the season of upskilling. And I think we have an exciting episode ahead of us because we have an extremely interesting guest for sure when we talk about what the future of uh, work and the future of skills looks like. So today uh, we are not interviewing somebody from ABMBF. We are are going out there and I'm very happy to introduce to you our guest Amit Agarwal who is the co-architect of Future Skills which is a NASCOM initiative and he's the CEO of that IT ITIS skill sector council at NASCOM Amit welcome to the show thank you Sergey looking forward to a super conversation all right so let's start so you have worked over two decades as well i think you know, just uh, like me so let's start with sharing some insights about your career journey where did you start and and what kind of steps did you go through in your career sure so you know i started after college where i had studied economics in college at st stephen's college in delhi and i joined a consulting firm it's now called accenture in those days it had a different name and the interesting thing about it is that I joined them because they came to campus and they interviewed and it was the job I got. So that's how I started. But I have to say that I loved every single day of it. And I think those four or five first formative years actually made a huge difference to my career choices subsequently. So in consulting, the first thing I got to do was really two or three month assignments on different projects, different industries across the country. So I got to go to small towns across India, which I'd never been to before. Manufacturing sites like Nadiad for filament yarn, Modi Nagar, Yamuna Nagar—you know, places I actually never even known existed—and stay there for a few months each, which was fantastic for me because it just helped me to grow as an individual, both in terms of staying on my own, and more importantly, in just understanding so much about the country. So I was very keen to get international exposure. I hadn't got much of that at the time, and that's when I joined GE. So I spent two years really traveling across the U.S. Midwest, you know, states like Kentucky, oh. different cities, aircraft G, you know, G aircraft engines, G appliances, corporate G, etc. So again, massive learning on terms of how do you actually do a conversation around globalizing a piece of work. how do you actually ensure that it transitions seamlessly how do you manage project teams fantastic experience yeah very different i guess compared to the consulting experience before because there you were moving within india to different cities now this was really international exposure so was that international uh, difference a big challenge for you at the time you know a i was young and excited right so but yeah it was there were so many things i had to figure out like the first time i drove a car i went on the wrong side of the road <laughs> i went up a ramp a truck i actually got off and started honking and shouting 
and then i realized loop i've gone on the wrong side <laughs> i mean there were all kinds of things right massive i had to stay alone in these little hotels and drive to work in the snow you know and i didn't have those chains and the car used to swerve <laughs> all kinds of things learning to cook yeah. yeah and then my wife actually was moving to unilever in mumbai and we were based in delhi at the time so then i took a shift within ge and moved to ge's consumer finance business in those days called ge countrywide power ge capital in what is a six sigma role and i think you've done one mm-hmm. of those as well right across yeah i love six sigma yeah it was very very popular in the early 2000s and, and before yeah, that already yeah. in ge yeah and there i think it was very interesting because here we used the tools to launch new products so we had to do for example a personal loan product so you use the same methodology per se but you put a lot more design up front into it mm. and so it was a mix of sales six sigma and again a very different industry right and the good thing is it was in mumbai which is the center of the banking industry and a bunch of friends from there very good colleagues so they would learn quickly from them but a series of good projects including using fax machines to centralize processing you know this is before the computers came in that could actually do all of that and then we actually moved back to delhi right as a family and by But, then we had a small child as well so i didn't want to go back into sales given my wife also had an aggressive career and so that's when our then ceo at genpact said look hiring is like sales we're going to be moving from being called jks to an independent company non ge etc so i need someone who gets sales So then I moved for the first time into this HR area, and I did that for three years, and I loved that, and I, I really loved it. And I took some of the learnings from consumer finance, right? So on personal loan, you had storefronts, and what we did in India then is to build our brand. We set up these storefronts in the small towns. It was most times parents didn't understand what this whole BPO was. Right? You couldn't touch it, feel it, you couldn't experience it. No. No. And then you were your kid was going to a new city, so. So we set up these little storefronts and made employees there. They could see videos. So it's fantastic. The the kinds of transferability actually. So that was one big learning, is you have to assume that you can actually transfer things that you have learned in one context to another, as long as you understand the context. Yeah. Then I went back and ran Six Sigma for Genpack Innovation. Did that for a while, and then I took a year off to sort of figure what I want to do next. and when i got back to genpack in that time i figured i want to focus on education so when i got back in a few months the role of lnd leader of genpack became available and as you at the time tiger offered that to me and then i worked in that role with a few other functions like hiring leadership development csr diversity etc but training etc is what i then did for the next 5 or 6 years and finally in 2018 then that's when my career at genpack came to an end and i moved to nascom to actually run yeah. this future skills initiative which is yeah. where i am now so yeah, if we stay on the theme of this podcast episode it's about upskilling so i imagine that when you moved from one function to the other one you had to somehow upskill yourself if you move from sales to to hr so how, how did you really gain the necessary skills for that new domain every time that you move mm. in between those domains so absolutely and i think my early years in consulting actually were really helpful so three four things that i think i learned in accenture and then i picked up through the journeys and stuff that should work right the biggest one i got was that in any new role there is a term called ccf which they teach you in an mba class so it's conceptual clarity and contextual familiarity 
So you must understand your context and you must understand the concepts that you have to do. So I spent a lot of time in whatever role I got into initially, just trying to get this CCCF right. Right. So it means stepping back and understanding the larger picture of where you fit into the overall value chain in the business, how you contribute to the business. What are the key outcomes either your manager or boss or the CEO is looking for? Right. And only when I got that, I found at least and that's, that's the way I learned. And I'm sure different people learn differently. Was I really able to start to add value? Because then in any conversation, I could see whether it was linking to the outcome or not. No. The other two, three things that I learned to do was one is was to leverage theoretical frameworks. So a lot of people sort of have a view that if it's just a theoretical framework, you know, what's the point of it? How will it be useful to my work? But I've always found that the framework helps you build a mental map. And it can be any framework. There are many around. I mean, they can be Google, they can be picked up through books, etc. whatever it is, McKinsey's 7S framework, there are hundreds of them. And so then I always found that it was easier to build my mental map around the process, right? And we learned that in Six Sigma on how to build these, these, you know, they had their own frameworks, for instance, for example. I would also, you know, and I moved into leadership roles reasonably quickly. So the one big advice I got, which I started doing almost immediately was building complementary teams. So there I had figured what I was good at. And I had also figured what I wasn't good at. And so I made sure that there was always at least one or two people who were really good at things I wasn't good at. And so that was another piece was just about the people. So it's all about the collective. It's not so much what you know individually. And if you can harness what people now call collective intelligence, I think that's a big thing. The last point I was made was just talking to people. How do you just... Just go ask, be curious and ask people, you know, what do, what is, what do you think I should do? And get into tough reviews and make sure that the people who can help can. And there's a, there's a lot of advice, no, in those last couple of minutes, but some, some great points. And, and people also often ask me that question. So how, how do you do that? You know, if you move between functions, how do you, how do you adapt and, you know, if you move from IT to supply, like I did, for example, how, you know, attack those questions that you get on your day one in your supply yeah. function from people who have been in supply for 10, 20 years. You get all these questions. How do you, how do you manage those? Right? Uh, the other thing that I've always believed is that I think you need to have three types of skills, right? One is leadership skills. You need to be a great manager. You need to be a great leader. The second one is your functional skills, which if you move into a new role, you will not have those functional skills yet. Your team will have those. And the third one is the methodology. If you have amazing methodology like Six Sigma, like problem solving, you, know, you can come into that new domain and you can basically rely on two of the three skills because you have your leadership skills, you have your methodology, you know how to fix a problem, you, need to, you know how to ask questions, how to run a project, and whether you run that project or you solve that problem in supply or in finance or in tech, same thing, nothing changes. What you're missing is a functional piece, right? And that's what you need to build over time, as you said, for example, by talking to people, by sitting down, by understanding that business. Yeah. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about how you see the future of work? No? Because that's in the end what, what future skills is, is about. When I look at, uh, you know, news and, for example, World Bank, who I think one or two years ago said that 69% of the jobs uh, are at risk of being automated 
We see AI, ML everywhere. We see a lot of new tech, cloud everywhere. So we see a lot of industries being disrupted by, by tech and, and threatening traditional jobs. Yeah? So how, how do you look at that from, from this perspective of future skills? How, how do you see the future of work? You know, one of the things that has been, I guess, proved again and again is that in the short term, the technology outcome tends to disappoint us. But in the long term, it always delivers more than we thought was possible. The fact that it is now across every industry just makes it important for us in the context of skilling as individuals to realize that all of us have to realize that we will be working in partnership with machines for the rest of our lives. It's just a given. And those of us who don't learn how to do that are more likely to not be able to continue in our roles, careers, jobs, etc. than those who do. The good news is that for those who do actually get it, the job market is just booming, right? I mean, we see all over a war for talent in the IT industry continues, right? Despite a pandemic, despite all of the issues, etc. The economy overall growing slowly, the IT industry continues to see a war for talent. So that's what we started on future skills as an industry. We have about 4.2 million, 4.3 million people now in the industry. And in 2017, really, we did some research to see where's the next wave of growth going to come from. And we identified these technologies. And we realized that broadly about 2 million jobs can be created in India in these technologies. So that's when the industry got together at the leadership level to say, okay, what can we do now? in order to ensure that we can actually win the business. So obviously, individual companies will do their own things. But collectively, through NASCOM, one of the requests they had was, let's set up the Future Skills Initiative, which is to build a digital learning ecosystem for the country. So figure out the job roles, figure out the standards, figure out the kinds of skills that are needed. Start mapping different content from around the world to that. So in case companies need to move fast and look for a particular training program, they can find it. Get a digital training platform there, build a marketplace. So that's what we started first for our industry, our own member firms. And our job is more as a catalyst, right? If you think about NASCOM, it's not actually to do. So the good news is if I look at the industry now and I know how much good work you all are doing at InBev in this area as well, out of the 4.3 million people, 1.7 million people have actually already got skilled in one or more of these technologies. Last year, we started Future Skills for universities, which was focused on actually transforming the higher ed ecosystem to ensure that students, when they come out, are prepared right, for these yep. kinds of jobs. Yep. So a lot of course curriculum changes, lots of new courses being put into colleges, working with the government on policy, et cetera. And this year, we have launched Future Skills for Citizens, which is really, it's a platform called Future Skills Prime, which is free for all citizens. So it's actually a, a free platform for all citizens to come and learn. About 3 lakh people are on it, 150,000 people have enrolled in courses, about 50,000 have completed courses, 20,000 have got internships. So it, there's a significant actually drive on this now and it will just continue right to evolve and build over time. So that's what we've been trying to focus on. And I'll stop now with just three key learnings for people. If, you know, mm. One is that they have to continuously upskill. So this isn't going to stop. When we say these 10 technologies, there's already three or four more on the horizon. It's going to accelerate that change. Yeah. So it's just a fact of life. You've got to keep upskilling yourself. Second, you got to look at it as an investment versus an expense. I mean, that's for sure. So most people are still relying on companies to do it for them. 
companies will do as much as they can but given the scale of the challenge the nature of the change coming as an individual you and i we all have to invest our own money time resources additionally to get upskilled versus only waiting for the company and the third one is that we should not be and that's what a lot of middle management is studying with that frog in the pond the boiling water who is sitting there thinking they're okay right and they're not realizing that the water is boiling one day it hits tipping point and then you know they don't have their job or they are redundant and then there is nothing they can do because they haven't made the investments to change so mm-hmm. i would say please act with urgency everybody and start yeah. figuring how to get skilled and and how do you see those future skills so if i look at what we're doing in in the gcc and abinbef what we are basically how we see the future of our gcc uh, in the next let's say 3 to 5 years is that every single individual every single employee needs to upskill or reskill themselves and we see three domains uh, one is tech right i think you mentioned a lot technology technology is changing everything so a lot of tech upskilling second uh, analytics advanced analytics yeah. uh, we see also there that companies are more and more using data uh, doing advanced analytics on that data to find insights and to generate you know revenue for for the company uh, and third is domain so become a specialist in your domain kind of advice that we are giving what are the, the future skills that you see it is fantastic that inbev is doing that and i think it's it's critical that employees in the firm appreciate it embrace it and actually start to execute on it quality the magnitude of change that's coming right it is impossible to just pick up everything on any topic that fast no so i think what you all are doing is fantastic encouraging people to pick an area and then really go deep in that area so that as the changes come they're able to get that change and and i would say just add one piece or nuance to it is people should over time build self awareness to understand what they enjoy because yeah. as the changes come if you don't enjoy what you're doing you're less likely to want to learn the new thing around it but if you really enjoy what you're doing then you will be out there trying to learn enjoying it etc the other thing i would add to what you said was the area of the world economic forum called it 21st century skills we in the industry call it professional skills so there are seven or eight standard ones that people talk about the days of working as an individual are going away things work as teams nobody knows the answer to everything in fact there is research that has been happening from the 60s where hundreds of thousands of people ask this question what percentage of what you need to know for your job do you know right and that answer has fallen from the 90s to actually it's close to 55% now that's just the reality therefore we are interdependent and collective intelligence is critical therefore we have to learn to collaborate we have to learn to work in teams we have to learn to communicate much better we have to learn to do that virtually we have to learn new etiquettes we have to learn in addition to the logical problem solving that at least we in india have always prided ourselves to be strong on to creative problem solving because these new technologies allow us not just the incremental improvement which is what our six sigma piece typically helped us to do but breakthrough thinking right you can design solutions that don't exist today yep so all of these are other skills so there's another school of thought that says look in addition to specializing in domain you must become good at these skills because these life skills will help you regardless of the job that you have 
And actually, there may be differentiators in your getting a role. I know that when we hire from colleges now as an industry, while the tech skills we typically get in India, it is these skills, communication, the basic one, right? That just allows people to get hired or not. People just see it and are getting the fact that it's equally important, especially college students when they go for job interviews and want to prep, right? It's not typically taught in our colleges. That's it. I think that's one of the biggest gaps that we still have in our colleges today is that it's very much focused on the hard skills yeah. and very limited exposure to those professional skills, we'll call it. It sounds better than, than the soft skills, but indeed collaboration, negotiation, presentation skills, listening, uh, articulating. Those are the things that you need. If you want to get a job, everybody can compete on the hard skills. But if, if you have an equal competitor in terms of hard skills, the people who get the job will be the ones who you know, are better in those professional skills, obviously. What is that one lesson that you learned in your career that you would have said, oh, I wish my boss would have told me this 20 years ago, uh, <laughs> rather than me finding out uh, later down the, road, down the road? So let me put it this way. The boss did tell me, but I didn't pay attention for a long time. <laughs> And I'll give you the example with a story, right? So there is an example of a bumblebee. So the, the gentleman who, who actually introduced us is Pramod Basin. So he was the founder of Jetpack. So he told us this story once, long ago, right? And this is when I was like in my early 20s. I just joined Jetpack. And the fact is that science tells us, if you follow the laws of physics or whatever the right laws of science are, that the bumblebee shouldn't fly. But it does. So the question that everybody's been trying to figure out is how does it fly? And then after a lot of thought, basically people have come up with this simple one conclusion. The only reason that it's able to fly is because it doesn't know that it shouldn't be able to fly. <laughs> well, and this I mean, is one, this is one that people need to think through a little bit. Yeah, so, and what Pramod really would encourage us to do, and it took me a while to, to embrace that, was to go out and take those big risks. Mm. Right? Take the big risks in areas that you're not comfortable with. And I think that is really especially true now because the world changes so fast, it is ambiguous, and the more we try and stay safe, the reality is there's more parts of the world that we can't fit into. All right. That's a great lesson. That's a great lesson. So it's kind of go out of your comfort zone, as we would call it, right? Don't stay in your comfort zone. Go out of your comfort zone. Do something that you might believe today that you cannot do. But if you really invest your time, you're really dedicated, I'm sure you can fly like a bumblebee. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Great. Thanks a lot, Amit. Great session. Uh, it was great to have you here. Really interesting career. Uh, amazing insights with future skills. All the best with the future skills initiatives. I think it's a very noble initiative uh, and really important now as well for India to really upskill millions of people and get them ready for, for the future of work. So all the best and thanks a lot for joining. Thank you, Serge. This was a super discussion and look forward to staying in touch. All the best. Yeah, we will do. Thank you. And for all the Bye. listeners... This was the last episode on uh, upskilling. So I hope you enjoyed it. 
please check out Amit Agarwal online, check out the Future Skills Initiative, uh, a lot to learn about how we should prepare ourselves for the future. So thanks for listening. Please like our podcast, share our podcast, and see you in the next episode. Thank you. Cheers.